Living Life Alongside Me, a podcast about relatability in regards to funny stories, struggles, and all the other aspects of life. I have asked you on this podcast to get some of your wisdom on the subject of teaching. And um, let's go ahead and start with how many years have you been teaching? This is my 30th year. And what subject and age group do you teach or have you taught? Well, primarily biology, uh, freshman. But my first year, I taught oceanography, which was primarily junior and senior class. And that was interesting because it was a very um, thin, small print, no picture book. And since I'd never taught oceanography... Um, I spent pretty much every night <laughs> trying to prepare a handout and a lecture, and it was it was uh, not a very pleasant experience. I didn't even know oceanography was a subject taught in high that school. That was the I think last year <laughs> that they taught it. And it may have been the first. I don't know, but uh, they did. They did have uh, a, a book. They, they, it was not a teacher's edition, by the way. Oh, fun. <clears throat> yes. So you yes. had to go and look up, not on the computer, but look up all of the actual answers with other books. No, no. I everything. I had to make everything myself. So there were no preconceived answers to anything. Oh. I had to develop everything on my own. Wow. So I'm sorry. I mean, I haven't been teaching very long, but rewind for a minute. So the book was just like a chapter book that didn't really have any questions or It was the quizzes. same book that the students had, basically. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. yep. Wow. And I, I remember when I was first um, told I was going to be teaching oceanography, I thought, Oh, I like nice the ocean. Blow -off class. I like to fish. I can, <laughs> I can do this. And then I realized there were there was nothing to prepare me to you know teach the class other than just the same student book that they had. That is pretty wild. I mean, and so you actually had to be reading that book and not getting information from anywhere else because how else is it going to be fair when you're making the worksheets or the quizzes or the tests? Yep, yep. And I just found myself being just. A day ahead of the students, essentially. <clears throat> My goodness. Wow. Okay. That yeah. seems like a, a crazy whirlwind of events all on its own. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, the next year they offered biology. Um, and I think I may have had a physical science class too. But I, I thought, oh, great. Biology. Yes. There's something with a teacher's edition <laughs> and work, workbooks and so forth and so on. There. There were things that I didn't have to make up because they already had them in place. So I was pretty pleased. So it's been biology ever since? Yes, for the most part with, you know, a physical science class here or a um, uh, something similar, you know, but primarily biology. So it's been almost 29 years of just teaching biology. Well, with, with maybe a double prep? Yes, but primarily biology, yes. Wow. And that was even back in the day when they had intro to biology. They had intro, regular biology, and honors biology. What? Wow. Yes. Yes. It was it was interesting. That is interesting. Mm -hmm. um, so let's dive deeper into the 
ninth grade students. That's 14 and 15 year olds. So, um, I mean, at my high school, I don't know about all the other high schools, but they were known to be the rowdy, immature, crazy grade level. Like they, similar to Round Rock, have their own little freshman. I mean, um, my campus, Terrell, it was their own section of the school. At Round Rock, it's primarily one building, right? Yes, yes. Um, There's 12 buildings. Uh, the 700 building is kind of known as the fishbowl. Right, kind of like the ninth grade quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so what is it like to handle these 14 and 15 year olds? Uh, it's it's fun. I, I enjoy it. Um, they have a lot of energy. Um, they are pretty good following instructions for the most part. So... Um, kind of have a blank slate as far as they don't feel like they know it all. Mm. Um, they they come in and and for the most part they're ready to learn. So I I enjoy that group. Um, I I hear from senior teachers that they can be a handful. So. <laughs> So I guess I don't miss them, even though I I taught them my first year out of uh, UT. But um, so if you had to describe ninth graders in one word, what word that what would that one word be? Moldable. Oh, I like that. Moldable. They're still young. Mm-hmm. Just out of middle school. Right. And when I say moldable, it's because I've had a number of students that um, came in and tried to do the bare minimum to pass only to realize the bare minimum was not good enough to pass. And then spending time with them and trying to communicate with them. And then all of a sudden they go from barely not passing to A or B. And so I feel, uh, I feel that's been a, uh, like a, a bright light in, um, in teaching, <clears throat> just being able to see students uh, um, make the decision, you know what, I may or may not like biology specifically, but there's something about the teacher that I want to do well for. And... Uh, so that's fun to see that transformation. I mean, I firsthand read some of the letters that your students have given mm-hmm. you, and they are pretty inspiring. Um, so you would willingly continue to teach ninth grade? Absolutely, until I retire. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I feel like um, it takes a special teacher to be cut out for freshmen. It's probably... Uh, a special teacher to be teaching, period. I mean, the, um, or maybe I should say a special person. The, the, it, let me wrap my head around what my answer is going to be here because there, the challenges involved today where you have the helicopter parent 
where you have uh, possibly admin that makes it difficult to do the job, um, where other teachers may make your job more difficult, whether it's because they've done something and gotten in the news for it, and now all of a sudden you have this dark cloud hanging over you, <laughs> even though you did nothing. Um, yes, um, all the above. But the, the main thing is, as long as we're there to do our best for our students, and, uh, and the neat thing is uh, the majority of the students figure that out, and so then they gain an appreciation and respect for you and they don't want to cross, cross you at that point mm -hmm. because they know that you care about them and want the best for them. And all of a sudden they realize, oh, you know what? I want to perform and I want to do well for this teacher. And it's, it's kind of an odd thing because in reality you want them to succeed um, not just in your class, but in all their classes mm -hmm. so that they'll be better suited for life after school. But whatever it takes um, to get them to their potential or to get them to reach above where they may have been looking to reach, then I feel that's a huge reward and a big positive because uh, you get to succeed together. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So um, you have had kind of like a diverse environment when it comes to teaching. You taught at McCallum for a little while um, before the prices, the home prices really skyrocketed. You were kind of there when it was a different place than it is today. And you currently teach at Round Rock, which is, I mean, that's like, an opposite end of where McCallum was when you initially started. So what are some similarities and differences in those two teaching environments? Well, I remember the first time I walked into Round Rock, I immediately felt at home because it, it kind of had some of the uh, familiar uh, vibes that McCallum had. Of course, the school colors were, were different, but as far as the student... Um, population and how I felt with the students, there was um, a lot of similarity there. Um, of course, back in the day, McCallum had uh, the East Side and the West Side students. So you had uh, like some of the richest families represented at McCallum and some of the poorest in Austin. So it was, and then everything in between. So... Um, it was a uh, it was a neat environment because um, a lot of times schools will take their cue from the athletes, and in this particular um, time, the athletes were the obvious leaders of their um, their groups. So. You had the Hispanics, the blacks, the white athletes that kept everybody in line, basically. And so the school in general, everybody got along. And so that was fun to see. It's almost like, I uh, remember the Titans. Of course, that's one of my all-time favorite movies. But there was, without the um, initial fighting that took place in the movie, 
But at the end, how everybody got along, that's what I saw at McCallum. And that's what um, one of the things that made McCallum really special. So as a young child, I got to go and go to your basketball mm-hmm. games. And there was definitely a sense of unity. I mean, there wasn't even enough places to sit down in those gyms for the people that came to watch those games. Right. Those and games were standing room only. They were. And my goodness, the energy in there was palpable almost. Um, and it's, I mean, it's a little sad to go into these state-of-the-art gyms that have amazing bleachers, I mean, almost brand new, and to see way less people in there cheering for their team. Yes, I remember those games at McCallum, and the gym would just be so hot and stuffy because there were (laughs) so many people packing in. Uh, and it was the energy and the, the games and, oh my goodness, it was a lot of fun. I mean, the gym would almost rattle. Yes. Yes. With the yes. movement and the energy and the things that yes, people Yes. You go from the, the rattling gym to the <laughs> echoing gym. Yes. <laughs> Sadly. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, but, um, you know, that was, uh, probably a, a little different day when, uh, the school rivalries were pretty intense and the schools were so close together. Reagan, LBJ, Lanier, uh, McCallum, just within miles of each other. And so you had basically kids in neighborhoods that knew the kids in the other neighborhoods that were competing against each other. And so it just made for great games and great competition. Mm-hmm. Those, were, those were a lot of fun. Those were good, good times. I mean, and there were so so many less distractions. There weren't mm. pe- teenagers didn't really have cell phone. No one had cell phones at right. that age, and right. it was like, what are we going to do on a Friday night? We're going to go to the basketball <laughs> exactly. game. Exactly. Yep. Yep. And it was fun because you'd see the same older group too, like uh, individuals that had graduated uh, from past years would come consistently mm. and uh, watch the games. It was it was fun. I, I would even recognize people from the other schools that had been coming to the games. How Just, fun! Yeah, so it was fun. It was it was it was a good time. I I remember even uh, an experience where I was walking into our own gym, only to have a few Reagan ex Reagan uh, basketball kids that were coming back to see us play. Uh, their team and they were imitating me because they saw me walking up. <laughs> it was the funniest thing just to see that. Um, but yeah, those it was it was a good time. I mean, that was a coach Chateau I haven't seen in years. Wearing those fancy boots with the with the clipboard, throwing that down sometimes during breaks and halftime, being like and hollering at these teenage boys that yeah, yeah. I haven't I haven't heard that loud voice right. in a long time. Right. Yeah. That was that that was the difference between coaching boys and girls. <laughs> I was a little more uh, animated with the boys. Oh man, those were some good times. I mean, yep. me as a spectator and as a daughter of the coach, I had I definitely enjoyed it. It was it was fun. It was fun. It was fun to have y'all in each arm when you were little, and then trying to welcome the varsity coming in after the JV game. <laughs> but it was it was fun. So I love how you've described um, McCallum, but um, would you say there was a maybe a, a darker 
undercurrent at McCallum that there isn't at Round Rock? Hmm. Uh, you know, um, that's a good question. I think because I was younger then, um, students would um, confide in me. And so I would hear firsthand some of those things that were concerning. Mm-hmm. Um, I would hope not at Round Rock, but who's to say? I'm, I don't get the same type of stories from uh, my students or student athletes to know firsthand exactly. But, um, you know, I, w- I would hope that um you know some of those things are are not taking place but i could only assume that maybe they're they are you know Mm -hmm. well as an ex-student of round rock and just being the daughter of a teacher coach at mccallum um i know that i mean there are two instances that stand out in my in my head in my memory of mccallum that were more on the darker side. I mean, when I first, what first comes to mind are those gyms and just the electricity in the air. But I, um, I don't know if you remember, but when we were walking the halls, I found mm-hmm. two $100 bills mm-hmm. in like a water bottle cap. And I remember you emailed the staff and nobody claimed it. They said it wasn't theirs. And you said, I got to keep it. I remember asking you why, and you said because anyone walking around with that kind of money shouldn't be shouldn't have it shouldn't be walking around with that kind of money, and yeah, yeah. I mean I was really little and I don't really think I completely understood what that kind of remark meant. Now only as I've gotten older and kind of looked at that retrospectively, I was kind of like, oh my goodness, wow, you know the gravity of of the situation. Mm, yep. yep. Um, there were there were some other occasions that something similar transpired. I remember we went to a school and um, at halftime, I had a couple of my athletes come to me saying that they had uh, a large amount of money stolen. <gasps> and so uh, I, I had to show some concern, but at the same time, I knew where that money came from. Right. And so I had to... Um, uh, make the assumption that, well, certain activities should not be involved, you know, that they should not be involved in certain activities. Um, And again, there's nothing I knew firsthand to be able to actually catch them doing anything. Mm -hmm. So there was a level that, you know, I'm I'm not going to kick them off just because they had money, but I had to insinuate that, they need to be careful and not bring anything like that around. So that was uh, that was one experience. And then um, we uh, there was one school in particular that when they would come to our gym, uh, we as coaches had to remind our student athletes to lock everything mm. up, and if anything was left out, that. Well, that was going to be on them because it, sadly it would disappear. And there was this one particular year when every seemed like every one of these kids lost something. And um, I remember Coach Caldwell going to the other team and yelling and screaming 
and walking out. And then sure enough, when all those kids came out, the things that all had disappeared all showed up again. Wow. (laughs) So Coach Caldwell was able to um, uh, throw out some choice words and provide some fear. And sure enough, everything (laughs) found its way back. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And what's so unfortunate about that, I mean, even in college when I was running at track meets, I mean, there were things like, I mean, coming from a private university and mostly being surrounded with private schools, you would assume, okay, everyone's going to keep their hands to themselves. Like, I mean, as athletes, you leave your things unattended. Mm -hmm. There's no Mm -hmm. locker. You keep them on the bleachers. But I mean, still that stuff goes missing. And it's just so sad that you can't. I mean, expect other people to do what you would do to their stuff, which is not touch it right. to your own stuff. So. Yep, respect it and yes. leave it alone. Yep. So do you know the uh, second memory I have uh, from McCallum? That it was an exciting time. It was a first, a first for me, and it was something I had always wanted to do. I don't know. I was probably like... Is it ride the bus? It was ride the bus. Yes, yep. I got to... Um, I don't remember if I got to ride the bus to the game with you, but I was definitely going to get to ride it back yes, after the game with yes, you. Yes, I remember that. And I remember <laughs> you put me on the bus, and then next thing you know, we saw these cop lights going on, red and blue flashing, and you said, stay right here, I'll be right back. And there had been like a fight or was going to be a fight. Something was brewing. I remember that. And I was like up against the window of the bus, like, oh my goodness, what is happening? So Yeah, we we had some exciting events. <laughs> Thankfully there were none that involved um anything very serious. Um but yes. We we had some exciting events take place. I remember one in particular where um, we were, again, it was a basketball game. And uh, everything was going like it should. Uh, halftime buzzer goes off. We're thinking, okay, let's head to the locker room. And all of a sudden, one of the guys on the floor for McCallum bolted into the stands and started fighting. What? I know. It wasn't even an athlete on the other team. It was just somebody up in the stands. It was one of our ball players. I don't know what transpired, but somehow he was alerted to something during the game while he was playing. (laughs) I don't know how this could happen. But uh, as soon as the halftime buzzer went off, he sprinted into the stands and I had to go uh, wrestle him out and get him into our locker room, which, yeah, that was quite an experience. And to end, to end McCallum, I mean, our, our brief little talk of McCallum on a positive note, I mean, there were some incredible stories that you got to see. Kids coming from squalor yes. that really sh- worked hard to achieve something. Oh, yes. And to see all, I had so many students and student athletes that uh, became police officers, became coaches. We had at least five coaches at one time that I had taught or coached. 
um, coaching on the McCallum staff. Um, so there were far more very positive stories. Somehow, I guess a couple of negative ones got out. But I mean, they're not necessarily negative. They're fun. They're, they're fun. Stories. They add some yeah. spice yes. to the conversation. Spice. That's a some good, spice. good way to put it. Yes, yes. Um, but uh, yeah, a lot of fun. As a matter of fact, uh, just the other day, I coached against one of my student athletes, my ex-student athletes, and uh, I also ran into um, the athletic director. I coached um, this gentleman, and he's an athletic director now. And so it's it's been fun to see how um, uh, people's paths have taken off and how they've been very successful. So um, over the last 30 years, what would you say um, is, is the best way to to keep classroom management going well? I know I know a lot of teachers that struggle with classroom management. Um, it's I mean they kind of are like a swerving car. They go from the strict <laughs> side to too lenient back to the strict side. So how how do you handle classroom management? Well, I think you could give a lesson on that, but. Um I think the key is the um, the relationships you develop with your students. Um, once they realize that you care about them, once they realize that you want the best for them uh, and that you're fair, uh, they give you that respect and that acknowledgement um, whereby they don't want to be the one to mess up. And as you can attest to, they'll be the first ones to uh, defend or um, correct any discipline issue um, so that you don't actually need to really say or do anything because the students will take care of it. Um, pause. Pause. I, um, that's the most obvious um, piece of the puzzle. And then we also have uh, the administration, which I think a lot of people don't understand how influential administration can be. And then we have our coworkers. Um, and in a really healthy, positive um, teaching environment, your coworkers are like your teammates. And then you have the administration, which is like the cheerleader, sometimes a mentor, somebody that is definitely encouraging you in the right direction and allows you the freedom to have your own um, plans and lessons and just kind of carry them out in the classroom. And then you have the students, which I mean, I mean, I don't think I'm just speaking for myself here, but students... I mean, they don't really have an expectation. I mean, obviously to follow the rules in the classroom, but it is, there's a lot more leniency when it comes to students because those are the people or the, I mean, the kids that are there to learn, hopefully. And, um, and when all of the other two things are working correctly, that piece usually just slides right into mm -hmm. the puzzle. So do you mind going ahead and talking about administration, coworkers, and just kind of the students and how all three of those things play together to hopefully paint a beautiful masterpiece. 
Yes. So um, thankfully, I've I've been able to, while at Round Rock, been able to work with some great administrators. And um, when I say great administrators, um, well, one in particular stands out, Miss Nichols, who uh, saw me one evening toiling away. Um, it was late. It was nine something and I was still working in my classroom and amazingly she happened to walk by and look up and notice I was still there and she goes coach Sato what are you still doing here and I said oh well my reply was not an answer my reply was well what are you doing here (laughs) anyway uh she said are you here often and I said every night and she goes oh uh I don't want to see you burn out. You uh, need to make an appointment with my secretary so that we can uh, discuss these hours and see if we can't make this job easier on you, which that was a no-brainer to me because I was, this is my first year back after taking eight years off. And so I was scurrying and frantically trying to get everything right. And uh, so thankfully, um, yeah, in recognizing her, on her end, she was recognizing my uh, my soon-to-be burnout uh, self. And was that so, about nine years ago? Yes. Wow, it's been a minute since I was yes. a freshman, sophomore. Yes. And so um, long story short, uh, go in uh, to her office, and um, she's basically telling me that well, she asked me what I was doing, and I told her, and she says, oh, that's very old school, and you're doing all the work. You need to allow the students to do the work. Mm-hmm. Wow, and that was a concept. What? <laughs> <laughs> Something about this sounds really neat. <laughs> <laughs> and because of her, I did not suffer burnout that, that first semester back because it was grueling. I was up at uh, every every night from nine to eleven, somewhere in that range, and then on the weekends. And uh, just I mean, I was a student, and somehow you were working on more school than I was. <laughs> <as a student. laughs> yeah, it was pretty scary, um, you know. And part of that was because I'd been out, and a lot of things in biology had completely changed, which you wouldn't think in nine years that could happen, but it did. But just the preparation and wanting to be on top of things and um, doing all the grading myself and so forth and so on. And thankfully, she was able to um, show me the light and lighten my load. And that next semester was, oh, such a relief. Um, So uh, the other thing that she taught me was that principals can actually lead professional development. Mm-hmm. I had never seen a principal do that before. All my principals in AISD had, you know, uh, drank the Kool-Aid of whatever was the latest thing. And then that person would come in and of course would get paid, but that person would come in and say, okay, this is how we should do it now. And all the teachers would go, hmm, when was the last time you were in the classroom? Oh yeah. And they're yeah. asking you to do like a 180 <laughs> mm-hmm. on something. And, in the and middle then, of the school year, I'm right. sorry. And then the next year, somebody would say, okay, now this is how you should... You know, so it was just, it was just uh, an exercise in futility, basically. And so it was hard to respect uh, the principal for doing this and the people that came in to try to you know, throw something new at us, which was not really new, mm-hmm. but uh, because the district had paid for it, or at least the principal had, you know, it was something that we had to listen to. But Miss Nichols was actually the one that led the professional development. And so um, 
it allowed me to actually learn and respect a principal uh, for what they knew and could teach us versus what they would just come up and say, okay, now you listen to this person. So I thought that was really uh, pretty neat. And then... Um, oh, wait. So I'm going to go ahead and pause you there. Mm-hmm. So you've just given us pretty much perfect world scenario of an administrator. Yes. At a school. Yes. So without saying any other school's names. I mean, you taught at more schools than just Round Rock and McCallum. So I wouldn't be throwing any of those... Um, necessarily throwing any of those high schools mm-hmm. under the bus. But um, you've also experienced maybe mm. the opposite of that. Yes, yes. And um, amazingly, it was my first year where this could have severely scarred me and possibly just <laughs> completely ended my teaching, coaching, professional career. I mean, do you know what I love? I love how first year is going to be the most difficult, hopefully the most difficult year anyone has. It's a whole new world, you know, taking that out of Disney movie. Um, But to also have that compounded with the people that are supposed to be the biggest resources just working against you. Yes. I mean. Mine. Talk about difficult situation. Yeah, and and it was it was interesting because I was set up so well because this is my first year. Um, I'm enjoying great success. I'm doing uh, uh, so. I started uh, Fellowship of Christian Athletes at the school. I started Fellowship of Christian Students at the school. The Key Club, which is really huge at this school, the. the, the head person, Mr. Gaylord, was going to retire. He was grooming me to take that over. I coached five different teams, <laughs> two of which the principal had actually come down and asked me to... Be, well, girls softball had not been a UIL sport, and this is going to be the first year. So uh, this principal at this school said, oh, Coach Sato, can you take this on. Well, it wasn't like I wasn't doing anything else and I had all this time to do it, but I thought, you know, uh, sure, why not? And so I thought I was just going to have one team. But as it turned out, I had 40-something girls trying out, and so I had to have two teams and only one coach, me. <laughs> so um, it was – it was, um, and never coached girls softball before. So that was a, a new experience for me. But it, it, it actually turned out to be a lot of fun because uh, even though the regular season was, was difficult, we somehow pulled it all together and won the end-of-season district tournament, which coincided with baseball and their tournament. And so when we won the tournament... And so I distinctly remember... Uh, they had uh, the third place trophy, the second place trophy, and then they called me up to give me the first place trophy. And they pulled up this trophy that was almost as big as I was, <laughs> which was just completely shocking. And so I was thinking, wow, you know, this is kind of cool. So I, I uh, stick in the car. I, you know, that, uh, that was a Saturday. That Monday, I'm thinking, well, I've got to bring this into the office and put it somewhere. Mm-hmm. Well, sure enough, the baseball coach had already beaten me and put his trophy up. And I thought, oh, well, 
that'll be a good place. I'll just put the softball, you know, first place trophy right next to it. And sure enough, the softball trophy was twice as big (laughs) as the uh, baseball trophy. And so uh, later, (laughs) later that day, the coach comes down and finds me and says, what in the world were you thinking putting your trophy next to the baseball trophy? And anyway, so because they had one district and their tournament. So you would have thought, you know, their trophy would have been significant as well. But I guess be, being it <laughs> was the first year so for softball funny. and everything. Anyway, so <clears throat> uh, doing all these things, not to mention I was voted favorite uh, teacher by the students. So I get the last, uh, somewhere in the last couple of weeks of school, I get this note in my box to come see the principal. A note I, instead of an email? Oh, back then, yeah, <laughs> right, yes. This is back in the day where you had laminating machines with that you had to hand crank and ha- you had to make sure there was this fluid in the, and then you had the, um, the uh, what is that, carbon copy that you had to stick in there and make copies from the carbon copy. And anyway, the fluid would make the papers that you were copying kind of wet and there was this distinct odor that would kind of... <laughs> you know, get you feeling a little different <laughs> after a while. And anyway, then, of course, after that, then you had to carry those papers that were making you feel a little, you know. Um, but uh, anyway, so I go to the principal's office, and of course, you know, my head hardly fits through the door because I'm thinking... <laughs> Here she is, just going to tell me this, what a wonderful job I'm doing. There's never been another teacher coach that has done all these things and been so successful. Uh, and um, I, I just, you know, I just thought, well, finally, I'm getting recognized by the principal. And so um, I get to the principal, and she uh, she doesn't really acknowledge me other than she picks up these two pieces of paper on her desk and hands them to me, and I'm thinking, oh, okay, thank you. And I, I'm looking at these papers, and I'm reading, um, if you have the option to hire this teacher next year, uh, would you do so? And there are three options. It was... Um, uh, definitely yes, maybe definitely no. And somehow I'm looking and it says definitely no. <laughs> wow, I'm not, I, I'm not laughing even now. And so I'm thinking, oh, she must have given me the wrong set of papers. So I'm looking, I'm looking on her desk. No, the, and then I think, oh, the name's wrong. And I look on the paper and it, oh, no, that's my name. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe I read something wrong here. So I reread it. Definitely no. It's, <laughs> it's definitely, definitely no. And so I'm thinking, wow. And then I thought, okay, maybe the second page is, it gets better. So I, I didn't finish that first page because I thought, okay, let me look at the second page. And the second page actually said, uh, Mr. Sato was not able to... Uh, uh, maintain discipline and properly teach in his classroom. And I realized, okay, that used my name. That's really bizarre because this principal had never even been to my classroom. Not once. (laughs) So I'm realizing, okay, okay, something is wrong. And I, I just remember saying thank you and turning and walking out of her office thinking, what just happened? So, uh, needless to say, it was probably one of the most shocking 
um, two minutes of my life. So I, I immediately go down to the coach's office and the, the coaches knew I had been to the principal's office because I had told them, oh, I've got to go to the principal's office. You know, uh, she probably, you know. And then I, they, they're going, well, what, how'd it go? And I, I just remember handing the papers to one of the coaches and, that, and then they're passing the papers around. They're all just shocked. And they're basically saying, well, coach, I'll write something up for you because I had helped, I'd coached for all of them pretty mm-hmm. much. And they were all you know, willing to write something in my behalf. And then uh, one of the coaches said, you need to take this to Ben Montgomery. Ben Montgomery happened to be the assistant principal or an assistant principal, not the associate, but an assistant principal, but he was also an NFL referee. What? Yes. So he, he was the one to actually write a really nice something for me. And, uh, cause he had actually, you know, seen me coach and been around me. Um, so anyway, um, I decided I would write a rebuttal to <laughs> what this principal had written. And uh, the rebuttal was, was not very kind because I, I pretty much highlighted the fact that she lied, that she used improper English. Um, and I thought, you know, I did such a good job with this. I, I need to run it by my folks. And so I called up um, uh, your grandparents and, and said, hey, this is kind of what's been going on. This- you did such a good job of pointing out this principal's flaws yes, that you wanted yes, to exactly, run it by. Exactly. Okay. Plus, I hadn't informed them yet of this whole background story. And so I thought I'd do that and <laughs> give them my delightful rebuttal. And so um, after, you know, the, I could sense that they were kind of in shock with my initial story. But then when I, gave, when I read them the <laughs> rebuttal, there was not a sound. There was, not a, <laughs> there was no comment. And so I'm thinking, do I need to read it again? <laughs> it was because uh, I, I thought, you know, good job, son. Yes. <laughs> Way to get her. <laughs> yeah. So um, uh, dad after a long pause said, um, so who's, who's going to read that? And I said, well, I'm sure the principal will read it. Yeah. Who else do you think will read that? Uh, I don't know. It'll probably go in my file. Right. And I'm assuming if, I interview again, somebody else will read that file and probably read that letter. And he said, yes, exactly. So do you think you may want to revise that letter a little bit? And then I realized, oh, okay, he has a point that I probably need to revise that letter a little. So I revised it quite a bit. And uh, um, thankfully, uh, students found out what, that I wasn't going to come back the next year. And so they were coming down to talk to me. And, and uh, because this particular school has a lot of uh, wealthy parents that apparently uh, have some... Sway. Yes. <laughs> yes. Amazingly, the last week of school, uh, the principal came down to my room for the first time, <laughs> for the first time, and gave me a new set of two papers. 
Wow. Yes, yes. And so the answers were a little different on this set of papers. But the uh, uh, before that actually happened, I had already been in contact with a couple of coaches uh, within the district that had uh, expressed an interest in me. And uh, so I had already um, set up interviews with them and as it turned out, both of them were interested in hiring me. So I was ready to let this school go. I want to go ahead and make it clear that that was not McCallum or Round Rock, either of the high schools Correct. We've, we've discussed. Correct. No, no. Um, but Far I did, from it. I did want to bring up actually a good message of that story, which is still applicable today, which is, um, I mean, I know it was just a file, but that is definitely similar to the internet today. Whatever is posted mm. on the internet can be found. Just like, and I mean, future employers, schools, if you're going to a university, I mean, all these different people will be able to look at what yes. is put on the internet, just like people are able to look at so what true. was put so in your true. file. So, so true. Um, yes. That is. So if I can uh, continue, oh, so yes, um, as you eloquently pointed out that my initial experience with uh, Ms. Nichols and our current principal uh, at Round Rock uh, have been phenomenal. And um, uh, then I did have this one not so good experience. Uh, you also alluded to the um, uh, faculty uh, staff that you work with and their key components in in the puzzle. Um, you know, I can also attest to the fact that I've known principals to go into classrooms and verbally uh, demean. Abuse is a is a is a strong word, but demean might be a, a little uh, better. Uh, a teacher in front of the students, which is mind-boggling. Mm -hmm. um, so I know that um, there's some difficult uh, admin folks out there. Um, and you, you mentioned that basically they should be your cheerleaders and mentors and, and just 100% have your back. And unfortunately, that's not always the case. Um, the... Uh, we call them PLCs mm -hmm. um, at Round Rock. These are your teams, uh, your teammates that uh, teach like similar classes like the biology PLCs made up of eight biology teachers. And um, for the most part, we have just, it's just a unit and we all work well together and um, you know, it's, it's, we have the common goal of wanting the best for our students. So it's a really good scenario. Um, I've been associated with some that haven't been so good. Uh, but it's such a pleasure to have a smooth running PLC. Mm. Um, definitely. Yes. And, um, I'd like to pause and, and, ask you, um, Carissa, how, what occurred? How is it that you became a teacher? Because I know teaching from early on to later in your life was not on your radar. So. 
<laughs> so I don't know how I know that, but I just happen to know that. And so what transpired to get, make you say, you know what? I think I'll give this a shot. Uh, so I had these two great, amazing parents who allowed me to chase whatever dream I had and never told me you should do this. You have to do this. Um, so my dream throughout the majority of my life was to be a CIA agent. Mm-hmm. Yes. 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 Um, work for the clandestine operations undercover. Right. Um, because there were three things that I wanted my profession to be or to um, to involve. One was to impact a lot of people in a positive way. Two, I um, wanted every day to be different. And three, I wanted to be able to travel. And I had it made up in my mind that the CIA was the only job that would fit these three stipulations I had. And um, though my parents did say things like, I think you'd made a great make a great teacher or coach, I was adamant that I um, would actually make the perfect CIA agent. And amazingly, you were able to have that uh, plan from the age of probably five, six to what, 20? And it uh, didn't seem like it was going to waver at all, at all. Yeah, so it was not, I was probably about 19, so 15 years. Mm-hmm. This... I mean, that was that's still the majority of my life. Oh, yes, yes. And um, being quite honest, uh, that dream hasn't completely diminished. I mean, being a teacher does allow you to enter certain countries that probably wouldn't otherwise allow True. people to enter into. Um, so I had this epiphany. Um, I think it was second semester of my freshman year that... Um, I wanted to be a teacher. <laughs> it was definitely, I mean, God just speaking to me <laughs> because it was just suddenly a complete switch of my brain. Um, and nothing was even going on. I was walking through the quad. So it wasn't like I was sitting there listening to teachers talk about, you know, their positive stories and the impacts that students have had on them. It was just out of the blue. I just realized, you know what, um, teaching is, is definitely a calling and it fits into all three of those categories. Um, so that is how I came to be a teacher. Well, I interestingly saw the, um, the qualities in you that would make an excellent teacher and coach. And so I just distinctly remember um, when I was coaching your middle school basketball team and how you were able to take everything that we had learned and be able to get the other four girls on the floor to always change whatever offense, defense, press, press break, whatever it was, you were able to immediately, as soon as I would call something, immediately get them in the right spot, doing the right thing. Which, wow. which I had an amazing coach. Well, <laughs> it's one thing to be able to me call it out, and it's a completely entirely different thing for everybody to be on the same page immediately as a middle schooler doing 
things that a lot of high schools can't do. So it was uh, pretty impressive watching you orchestrate these four other girls into doing what they should be doing because otherwise it would have been a circus, everybody running one way and doing something different. But thankfully, you were able to uh, keep keep everybody organized and uh, made for a fun um, uh, uh, season. Yes, very... Um, rewarding and successful season yes well i would like to add that you um are a pretty gifted ringleader because really that team and a lot of teams since then should have been just a complete circus but (laughs) somehow you orchestrated all of these different people and different different girls to um, perform something really great so i mean that wasn't the only time i've seen i've seen you orchestrate something that I mean, man, at the beginning, people were probably like, well, at least they'll have fun out there <laughs> um, to be just a bunch. I mean, we won to be a lot of fun winning. Um, so it went from not only having fun, um, but also having the fun of winning. And um, that was that was really great. Well, it was it was special being able to not just coach girls, but coach my daughter as well. So that was <laughs> It was a good time. Good times. Um, you know what's funny is <laughs> I uh, before our last soccer game of the season, I had to tell them a funny story. Well, it wasn't all all funny, but it was a story <laughs> that involved you. Oh, yeah, it was it was kind of funny, and it it, it was there was some. Um, because it was the last game of the season, it was uh, there was a little intense, you know, kind of feeling in the air, and so I felt, you know what, I'm going to have to tell a story to kind of loosen everybody up a little bit, and um, it it was it was pretty good. I don't know. Do you want me to tell the story? Uh, why don't you give some of the key topics of the story? <laughs> What what age what age was I? You were you were middle school. Okay, yeah, let's go for that. Okay, and uh, oh, does this have to do with uh, right before a basketball game, maybe an injury that occurred? It, no, well, there were several, unfortunately, <laughs> but it, yes, it did involve an injury, Uh-oh. and it involved an injury to one particular player. And this parent was telling the coach, "She's injured. You need to pull her out." And um, then again, this parent yelled to the coach, she's injured, you need to pull her out. And so I'm telling this story. And uh, like the third time this parent yells at the coach, she's injured, you need to pull her out. Uh, I, I pulled my daughter out. And <laughs> then they realized what was going on when I was telling this story. But it was the mom yelling at the dad who was the coach to pull her his own daughter out of the game. Uh, but then, yeah, so... Was that the finger injury that I had? No, that was the broken ankle that you had. Oh, the broken ankle injury. Yes, and then you demanded to play in the second half as well, and so you played some in the second <laughs> half on the broken, same broken ankle. That was, yeah. But, I mean, that was, that was who you were. You were not going to be denied a championship game, and you were going to play for your team regardless, even when you broke your nose and in uh, 
a cheap shot in a soccer game and continue to play Actually, soccer let's and pause basketball. There for a minute. Um, <laughs> if I would have known that that girl purposely elbowed me in the face, there might have been a different outcome to that game. So it was probably a good thing that I thought it was an accident. But I will never get over having to wear that hideous mask on my face while playing soccer and basketball. It it yeah. definitely eliminated a lot of my vision, peripheral vision. But it's amazing you were able to play both sports with that, considering, yes, that mask for those two sports was so critical. I mean, I don't know if many people could have done that for those two sports because being able to see the ball and having to awkwardly I mean, it, there's no natural way to see a ball when you have that mask on. Yeah, it's kind of awkward and embarrassing. I think the the biggest thing was the embarrassment that was tied with that because uh, fortunately there were, well, too many spectators for me to be watching either game with me in that mask. <laughs> so, uh, Well, being a coach and knowing what that mask did in terms of preventing vision to the ball was pretty remarkable. Um, all right. So I actually wanted to swing back. So we talked about faculty a little bit. Um, do you mind giving a couple anecdotes on some positive faculty? You, you talked about pa positive faculty experiences. Um, do you mind talking about negative, um, I'm sorry, uh, faculty experiences and then discussing how you were able to watch the reactions of the students in the different environments? Yeah, so there's, um, hmm, I guess there's a couple. One was firsthand, who was in our PLC. We shared a classroom, so I was in his presence a good bit. Um, it was sad because he came in with all these accolades. He was working with the superintendent. He was mm. in a bunch of different roles, leadership-type roles. And then something kind of changed and he um, kind of wanted to do his own thing and didn't want to communicate with the rest of us and just kind of made it difficult for the other. Now, had, he, had that gone on, we, you know, we could have managed, but then he would say things about other people in the PLC. What? and. Uh, oh man. So things took a turn. And so the AP that was over us uh, put a lot of stipulations on him. Uh, <laughs> these are the things you are allowed to say in the PLC. <laughs> and these are the things you must do to keep your job next year. <laughs> oh gosh. And oh, they were almost unattainable. Oh, wow. which was the intent. And because of that, he realized that he was going to have to move on. Well, I mean, it takes a really good fact, uh, administrator yes. to actually say something when they yes. see kind of a weed starting to yes. grow. Yes, so, for sure. I will applaud that administrator. Uh, yes, yes. Definitely deserving of applause there because not all would do that. And uh, so, so... The uh, interesting aspect to that, because this person did not come back, um, that next year, this person came out in the news. And of course, 
Mm, I'd say probably 90 plus percent of the time, you don't want to come out in the news. <laughs> That's for sure. Especially as a teacher. My goodness. Uh, yes. Maybe, maybe. Higher. Yes. Maybe 100 percent of the time. <laughs> Uh, if you're a teacher. But anyway, he came out in the news and um, he had... Uh, so, there's a story. Apparently, his son had a, had a phone taken away from him by another student. And um, in retribution, he went after this other student and grabbed him around the neck oh, man. to retrieve the phone and got in a lot of trouble, as you can imagine. So it was really a good thing that he was out of oh, our yeah. school because, I mean, who wants publicity like that from a teacher from your school? Which, sadly, that occurred this year. Oh, well, we don't have to dive into that. No, but um. the, the problem is that one negative from a teacher seems to cast a dark cloud over all teachers. Mm -hmm. And that's what's so difficult. I mean, we just listened to a thing earlier today where people automatically use that bad um, thing that happens as like a generalization or as now the new norm instead of just thinking, hey, maybe it's not a cyclical thing. Maybe there's just one dud or, you know, like, a few, a very small percentage that work in this profession. Um, well, sadly, it's, you know, your grandpa would say there's the 3% that make it bad for every group, mm -hmm. for every organization, for everybody. And so that unfortunately rings true even in education. Especially so, in education. Yeah, well... Unfortunately. So let's go ahead and tie that into the students and how you got to see kind of this negative thing starting to take place in the PLC. Was Did you see any noticeable difference amongst the students? And then when you had that really healthy PLC, did you notice um, like just positivity or um, the students engaging more than they had with that kind of negative PLC vibe? It's... Um, it's difficult because the students aren't in touch with the PLC and what's going on. Oh, wow. So this didn't leak out into uh, no. really outside relationships with the teachers, really Not that I'm aware teaching of. styles. Okay. No. All right. I, I can tell you that um, going back to this initial teacher, um, I could, just by being in the classroom, I was able to sense that his students had no clue. Oh, wow. Even after the teacher was gone, the students still were like, oh, what happened to this teacher? Why didn't this teacher come back? Because they still had this sense about, oh, this teacher was a really good teacher. Wow. Yeah. You know, I actually, I like that because my goodness, I have been in contact with some teachers that do not put on that kind, respectful facade in the classroom. Mm. So, I mean, on, I mean, as if the teacher, if the students don't feel the malice or negativity, mm -hmm. 
I'll be a little bit more lenient on the teacher. Yes, right. Because my goodness, the the students are like little bloodhounds. They're very sensitive to anything going on mm-hmm. with the teacher, mm-hmm. other students. Everything affects the learning environment for students in the classroom. Oh, for sure. And they are pretty adept at picking up stuff. Oh, for sure. So if there's just a sniff of something, mm-hmm. they're on it. So you're right. He was able, that teacher was able to somehow draw a line and not allow the students to see some of the stuff that was going on. Um, so I can tell kind of a, well, a not funny story. Well, a funny story, but that's not actually laugh out loud funny. Um, so before I started teaching in the classroom with my own students, own classroom. I had a lot of experience being in the classroom prior to this. Subbing, um, working, um, kind of as like a TA of sorts in two different uh, environments. And also um, my student teaching experience. And though I had um, kind of a range of PLCs I got to visit, I adored the teachers that I was a TA for. Um, However, I would go into their PLCs and immediately feel like this blanket of discomfort because my goodness, there was some animosity, some drama that was tangible almost in the air. It was just this negative cloud um, that just would come in pretty aggressively and just hover over the PLC. And I remember thinking, okay, I the only reason I'm not going to teach at this school um, even though I had the opportunity to teach at the school, was I don't think I could handle being in such a room uh, with all the friction that was going on. Um, so that was one thing that I was very cautious, um, very aware of well, what could happen. And uh, then when I did end up teaching, somehow uh, I found a a school that had kind of the same PLC problems. Sadly. <laughs> so uh, that's pretty funny, I thought. Um, that kind of brings back a memory when um, when I had taken over Miss Compion's biology class. Oh, yeah. I was my teacher. Uh, yes, I was your teacher, and the, the PLC was going on, and, and I participated because I was a biology teacher even though I was a long-term sub, um, I was the only male. Uh, and I remember um, a little friction. I kind of de- detected a little friction, but, uh, you know, I was like, oh, you know, maybe I'm just picking up on something that, you know, it's not really there. Mm-hmm. And then um, probably about the third meeting, uh, all of a sudden, one of the teachers got out of her chair and started yelling at one of the other teachers. And then I realized, oh, okay. Yep, there is friction here. That's always fun. Yeah, and um, yeah, that may, so that unfortunately, I think, made it difficult for me to get the help of the PLC <sighs> that I was supposed to get, mm-hmm. or at least the help that we bring on 
uh, we bring to a new teacher that because we've had the last several years we've always had uh, one or two new teachers. This particular year, I think we have three, and so we do so much for the new teacher. It's kind of like we've we've uh, written the book, we've got all, everything set up, and all they have to do is just kind of come in and just fit in, and everything. Now, thankfully, two of the three this year have jumped in and they're techies so they can do a lot of that kind of stuff. So, um, but I had none of that. And so uh, I think had we been a smooth running PLC, I think I wouldn't have been there as late. I think I would have oh. had more resources, mm-hmm. but because of this friction and um, teachers just trying to, keep peace versus go, hey, this teacher could use some help. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think that was an interference, unfortunately. So, um, but interestingly, one of those teachers ended up being uh, uh, an assistant principal and really struggled um, the first year. Um, and it was very obvious. But ended up doing much better the second and third year Mm -hmm. and was actually over the biology department and did a wonderful job. So it was really nice for me, I think, because we had um, two APs in a row that came from the biology department that were actually over us. So they knew us, they knew the department, how we ran, how we did things. And so they were all in for us. Mm -hmm. So that was was a great feeling um, because that allowed us to kind of fly under the radar, which you really want to do when you're teaching a core class. Um, oh, yes. You don't want to have the spotlight on you. Because it's generally negative. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. And and our scores are typically extremely good. Uh, but, of course, since you're not at the 100% level, then there's always room for improvement. And it seems like we reinvent the wheel to improve that one point yeah that, that <laughs> minuscule amount but something i wanted to talk about yes um because we've kind of brought it up a couple times is kind of the amount of work that teachers have to do so i have heard people outside of the education realm um ask like oh but isn't it nice that you have that spring break off oh isn't it nice that you have summer vacation And um, what I want to say is, I mean, we work 24-7 when school is in session, weekends, breaks, you name it, taking it home, grading, getting it done on time, because unfortunately, we don't just have one boss. We have all of the parents that like to jump in and say something. Any moment there is a slight hesitation in anything. Thank you, parents. You know who you are. <laughs> <I'm> just kidding. <laughs> um, but uh, so if you, I mean, if people want that 24-7 emotional, physical, no social life kind of job, then teaching, I mean, is the perfect job for you. Exactly. Um, exactly. And you did mention spring break and summers. The amount of PD that we have to get done in those times. Well, I think people don't, recognize the fact that teachers don't get paid 
For, right. For not for those, those months. Yeah. yeah. So it's not like, oh, we're getting all this paid vacation. <laughs> Everything's a breeze. We just show up. The kids mm-hmm. show up. We go home. Every, oh, yeah. It just can't get any better. Right. Yes. Yeah. And if people are unaware, um, we actually just get paid for those months that we are in session. And then... Uh, the system has done a great job of trying to dupe teachers by splitting that up into 12-month payments. Right. So even though we're not working, we do get a check, but it's just the money we earned while we were working. (laughs) Yes, and it's nice of them to hold on to that money during the summer until the end of the month when they'll give us that month's pay. Now, I remember, this is how old I am, I remember when you could ask for a single summer payment. Oh wow! Yeah, you had the option of a single summer payment, and it just—and I always went for that. And it was like, oh, look at all this money I have. <laughs> and then at the end of the summer, it's like, oh, when when do I start work again? Yeah. I, I need another check. The savings but, account was nice and fat. Yeah, it and one then you point, had to keep. You could feel good for a couple months, that. and then all of a sudden, it was like, uh oh. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, my. Uh, I didn't really, so some, I think some people kind of have like a nice um, walk, like you get when you're walking into a pool, you can take the steps where other people kind of just do a cannonball. And I didn't realize um, that as soon as I kind of committed to my contract teaching, I was actually standing at the high dive. (laughs) And uh, I didn't realize until later that I was actually falling off that high dive into the pool um, I like that analogy. And I think, okay, I'm just going to, I think, um, so off the high dive um, into this world that I definitely had not expected. Um, I thought that. So your student teaching didn't prepare you for. No, actually, uh, my, unlike a lot of my peers' student teaching experience, uh, mine was really hands off. Um, and the two teachers that I got to, I mean, that mentored me, um, were very, like one of them kind of only taught, I think she had an A and B day and I think she only taught like one real class each of those days because she had been teaching at that school for a while. They'd kind of given her the pick of the schedule. And, um, so she only had like one real class that I didn't really do much in. Um, actually I gleaned the most information from my kind of TEA teacher assistant kind of program or work, um, that I had. And because those teachers, a lot of them were first year teachers and a lot of them opened up to me about their hardships and allowed me to ask questions, to read along with the students. Like it was really like, um, having two teachers in a classroom and I would kind of take the more difficult, lower level students um, while they were able to focus on the students that were higher achieving or more invested in their education. Um, And I had no idea that, um, I I thought that all teachers had the mindset of we're going to do whatever it takes to help these students. And boy, was I surprised when I realized that um, not every teacher thinks that way. Mm. Um, That was definitely a shock. I thought, why else would anyone get into education, get into teaching? I don't, 
I don't understand what the purpose is of that. Um, and unfortunately, that just kind of bled into every kind of section of their teaching of of people being at the school. It was just you could just feel it on a person. Um, and so, I mean, I would like to end with two things. One thing, if you are prepared to be a teacher, um, make sure that you are willing to have those hard, difficult conversation with students and really be there to encourage them in a way that they're receptive. Um, because the hollering might work with some students, but it does not work with the majority. And um, if People are still stuck in the old way of teaching where it's just, oh, I'm going to dictate the lesson and they're going to take notes and it's going to be perfect and I'm not going to really have that much to do. Uh, wrong, wrong job, wrong profession. Um, on the other side, if you are passionate about positively impacting future generations of people, I would make sure to bring a list, a long list of questions to ask the interviewer because not only are you are they interviewing you, but you are interviewing them? And um, it is a 12-month commitment. Like, they're, you're not just going to go in there for a couple weeks and feel it out. Once you sign that contract, I mean, it's it's a big ordeal. So you need to make sure everything about that school is perfect. Um, and I don't mean, like, kids that are scoring A's on tests all the time. I mean, if you have a good administration, then you should have a good um, team. And then that will then bleed into the students. You'll have great students. Um, is there anything else you would like to add to to teachers, to people looking to get into teaching, or just kind of like a fun thing to end the in the podcast? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, if they're not coming in to positively impact students, then they're looking to do the wrong profession. Because um, they can do other jobs where they can just kind of show up and, you know, work eight hours and leave and not have to worry about a positive um, uh, impression on students or anybody. So, yes, you definitely need to have the mindset that you're going to do whatever it takes to... Um, do your best regardless of the circumstances and um, um, be prepared for hardships and difficulties along the way, but keep the goal uh, in your focus. And if you do that, then um, it'll be rewarding one way or another. So there are a couple of off-topic questions I'd like to ask you. One, what is your current Netflix TV show that you are watching? You can say the one oh, you just... Oh, that's right. Cheer. Yes. Cheer and Stranger. Yes. And... Uh, Took me a second. Any positive remarks on uh, Cheer? Oh, boy. That coach is amazing. Yes. I was so impressed. You I also know, one, one coach it. to another coach. That coach was amazing. I was I was so impressed. Definitely recommend that TV show. Yes. Even if you're not into cheerleading, it will give right, you right. a dimension that you have never seen before when it comes absolutely, to cheer. Absolutely. And if, if you can appreciate hard work and mm -hmm. good coaching, uh, then this is 
definitely worthwhile. It it definitely blew my expectations because I if I hadn't seen the um, preview because that kind of reeled me in. If it had just been oh, okay, a bunch of people jumping up and down now, nah, that wouldn't have been. But it was it was. It was good. I mean, there are a few episodes where somebody might need a tissue box because yeah, there's it's there's pretty. It can be pretty intense. intense. Moments. Yes, yes, for sure, for sure, yes. And then, uh, what is your favorite brand and flavor of ice cream? Oof. Well, there's good old Bluebell <laughs> and hard to beat homemade vanilla and the chocolate mint. Um, kind of a toss up there, but I guess. Homemade vanilla would have to take take a, maybe a little of the edge. Chocolate mint had been my favorite for most of my life, but this homemade vanilla, I think, gets a little bit of a, a by a whisker, it wins. I think. And then I'm sorry, one more last question: um, top movie, all time favorite movie. I think I already alluded to it. <clears throat> well, remember the Titans, of course, is way up there, and Father of the Bride. Those are Two kind of opposite type movies, but and Little Princess. Oh, and Little Princess. Yes, there's three. Those three movies are. <laughs> I mean, uh, we we've probably watched them dozens of times. So, yep. But just by sheer volume of numbers, uh, they would definitely have to be the favorite. Well, awesome, Dad. Thanks for joining me on this podcast. Lots of fun. Hope Anytime. to have you again soon. Well, thank you. Enjoyed it.